action. Welcome to Torn Stubs, the Trash Movie Podcast, with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and head of podcast at Trash, which can be found at movetotrash.co.uk, and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. We're concluding our celebration of Sofia Coppola's filmography with The Beguiled, her 2017 movie, Joshua. The Beguiled is set during the American Civil War, so like the late 1800s. It sees Colin Farrell's injured Union soldier taken to an all-girls school run by Martha Farnsworth, who's played by Nicole Kidman. He's injured, he's bedridden, Martha doesn't really want him there. Um, She decides to take care of him, but his mere presence unsettles their routine and threatens to destroy their status quo. Had you seen this before? I hadn't seen this before. I really wanted to, but then you said that you hated it. So I have kind of stayed away from it um, and obviously just watched it for this podcast. But So did you watch it for a second time for this? This was my second time okay. watching it. And how did you feel about it the second time? Well, the first time I saw it, it was I saw it on its release in 2017. And that year, I put it on my list of 10 worst movies of 2017. Oh, wow. Okay. I put it, I put it at number six. Okay. So halfway. And in my little write-up on movetotrash.co.uk, I said that the film is taken so seriously by all involved and drenched in an unnecessary amount of tension that every revelation and sideways glance became unintentionally funny. A wider audience would have been achieved had it been billed as a comedy. (laughs) Watching it this second time around, I think I appreciate it more. Mm -hmm. But appreciating and liking are two very different things, as I just learned to my peril by suffering the first half of Roma. Oh, you didn't like Roma? I appreciate it. Didn't like it. I haven't gone back and finished it. I had to stop watching it halfway because I was falling asleep. If nothing happens in somewhere, (laughs) nothing happens in Roma. But in glorious black and white. Until halfway through when stuff does start to happen. Oh, maybe I'll... Yeah. Well, maybe they should tell the story non-linear and I can watch that <laughs> bit first and then fall asleep. But with this one, I think I appreciate it more. It's, it's probably her most grounded film. It doesn't feel dreamy in the way that her stuff has before. Mm. Even somewhere feels a bit dreamy at times this feels very traditional it feels very much a 1950s movie with 2017 performances yeah it's kind of like a a gothic southern drama it's got that really swampy visual thing going for it it's got greens and browns it's got hanging vines it's got kind of shafts of light and constant hanging mist Um, it feels oppressive and kind of expectant it feels like something is going to happen this this setting is too weird and creepy for everything to be okay here so yeah it's it's definitely i would say it's probably one of her most attractive looking films i think it looks beautiful visually it's it's absolutely gorgeous 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 when they're shooting outside they're on these long lenses which Mm. completely throw the background 
out of focus into this creamy blur, which is uh, the either the the virtue or the negatives of using long lenses. But it keeps us at a distance, but it also keeps the character in complete focus. So they are the absolute focus of what is happening on screen mm. and it's gorgeous inside it's all shot with available daylight coming through the windows and or candlelight and you know whose house that is on the inside if this is true it's unbelievable let me try and guess is it someone involved in the film <laughs> no. is it francis Ford Coppola's weekend house no <laughs> who it's jennifer coolidge's house F- from Jennifer Coolidge from like Legally Blonde really and various others yeah the bend and snap she is her house Stifler's mom. that's her house <laughs> really yeah. the interior how she not decorated that? it yet <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's no carpets or anything <laughs> well they may have given it a little bit of a, an overhaul but yeah. changing rooms thanks Jennifer lovely house is that really true yeah oh, well wow. apparently that's what the so internet so she's says. shot in Paris Hilton's house and she's shot in Jennifer Coolidge's house. Yeah, what's house. next? Like Michael Jackson's house? No, thank you. <gasps> that could but be it, interesting. But it is a, a really effective way to shoot a film. Yeah. It reminded me of um, Marie Antoinette in the sense that she's clearly taken her cue from Barry Lyndon. But she said, that, as we've said before, that she, Sophia always reacts to her previous work with a new film mm-hmm. and so she said this is her quote the bling ring to me was so ugly i wanted to do something beautiful and soft she says it's dark but there was something harsh about the bling ring that i wanted to do something gentle and pretty with the beguiled so she agrees with me yeah she does when i said that the bling ring was not the most filmic wasn't it wasn't television, but it was very bland. Mm. This was clear. This has clearly been shot on film again. Yeah, must have been. It looks gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. She's also seemed to have developed in what she shows us the characters doing. This is the film where she displays the strongest narrative structure. She doesn't have her characters on screen doing seemingly mundane things just for the sake of doing them. They all have a purpose. They are fixing a leg or they are you know uh, setting a table or chopping wood or doing something or like gardening and they're bored yeah exactly they're not just ice skating they're not just pole dancing well i would argue those two things are very important to somewhere but anyway (laughs) but i I don't i whether they're important to somewhere or not they're we're still being shown something at length Mm. in somewhere here It's a very scaled down, lean movie. Five of her films don't go past an hour and 35 minutes. Marie Antoinette is the one that's bloated and goes on for just over two hours. Mm. This one, I feel, might have been a bit longer because we can come on to just a little bit later on a few things that happen that I think have been cut down just a bit too much. But at least she's self-editing and it's less self-indulgent. Yeah, although when I got to the end of the film, I felt like it, it felt like some scenes were missing. There were some kind of moments that uh, I just felt like, why weren't we shown that? That's really strange. That would have amped up the tension even more. What do you, which bits you... Well, Martha, played by Nicole Kidman, she decides we're going to throw a dinner to poison John, who is the Union soldier, Colin yes. Farrell. And then, but the scene... Be- 
before that, John has gone absolutely crazy, shot a chandelier off the ceiling, has gone and shagged Edwina, played by Kirsten Dunst. Yes. And or rather, she comes to him. She goes to and him. comes and comes and comes. And Yeah, exactly. And suddenly they decide to have a dinner and he turns up and it's all okay. Yeah. And it's like, well, surely Nicole should have gone in and tried to persuade him to have the dinner with them. And even though that is another scene, it would have been an interesting one to show how... How you soothe the yeah. the the bear with the spike in his paw. Exactly, exactly. Around, there are lots of moments like that. I yeah, and I feel that the, the bits that are missing are all in the third act. They're all in the last half an hour. At one point, once he's gone mad, they've chopped his leg off and he's on the crutches. One of the little girls goes out to put a blue rag on the gates. Blue rag meaning if some Confederate soldiers come by, they know that there's a Union soldier here and they'll come and take him away to death. Um so she puts the rag on the gates and then suddenly Colin Farrell's just behind her. Where the fuck did he come? It's like Batman. <laughs> he's like, oh, that's what that feels like. <laughs> but he's, he's pretty fast on, those, on yeah. those thingies, but I would have liked a bit of build up to that. That was, that was one of the unintentionally funny moments that I laughed in the cinema. You would think that um, Sophia would have played that tension up slightly more because one hour in the film kind of mutates into kind of a horror film like it, it start the first hour of the 90 minutes is kind of a slow build-up to that moment when nicole kidman's character chops off his leg because it's it's beyond saving yes and the second that happens it turns into this really t- tight horror film um it doesn't quite go as far as i would have liked it to go and it doesn't quite foster the tension in in you know a in an effective way that it could have done. Like that moment when she's at the gate and he just suddenly appears. Like, yeah. It would have been far creepier if it played out slightly longer. Um, it never goes into the John Carpenter territory or David Cronenberg territory, which is kind of what it was. Was it angling? Was it wanting to go that way? I don't know if Sophia Coppola is able to allow us, the audience, to experience any of the emotion on screen to the point where we will actually be with the film we're always kept to the distance mm. so all the sexual tension that is building up we don't feel it builds up we're aware that it is building up we know that john has taken an attraction to three of them and he's kind of playing his time seeing who is going to bite first who does he want so he says that he loves kirsten dunt's character but he actually ends up fucking or trying to fuck uh l fanning mm. when nicole kidman wanted him first of all <laughs> yeah yeah so we don't i mean i'm talking from personal experience i didn't feel the sexual tension i was just aware that it would be happening if if i was in the room at the time yeah i felt that the film really missed out on that because when he says i've missed being near you i love you to edwina kirsten dunst i kind of went but what because i was like i wasn't aware that there was any kind of real connection or intimacy between them. No, and that for me is either there were scenes cut out, yeah, but it, it, it presents an ambiguity, which Sophia Coppola is very good at. Her films, if there's one word that can sum up her films, it is ambiguous. Is he saying that because he knows she's a sex-starved mm. young woman? She's the oldest of the kids. So is he aware that she is completely sexed off he knows how to play a woman like this mm. or do they have form do they have a, a prior thing 
do they know each other before the war? Mm. Yeah, it just struck me as really odd that he's suddenly professing love for her when mm. we haven't really seen much of them connecting on a personal level. There's a few scenes where they kind of have a little chat and she's in the bedroom and yeah. stuff. And he holds her hand. Yeah, but... And he it, says, like, what is it you want? And she's like, I want to get as far away from here as possible. Yeah. But it just, there was a clash. There was a slight disconnect for me between those those two scenes. But she so, can't be that stupid to think... I know, that, exactly. But maybe, clearly she was, because she was the one who's most sympathetic to him. Yeah. Or rather, she, she saw him in the most sympathetic way. Mm-hmm. When they were poisoning him, they didn't tell her they were going to do it because they knew that she would go to John and say, don't eat the mushrooms. Yeah. And I thought that they really missed a trick with that when when she asked to have some as well. Yeah. I thought I was like, oh, God. But then the tension was immediately you don't like removed. mushrooms. You don't like them, do you? Oh, no, I don't. Oh, haha, oh, well. And I was like, <laughs> no, that would have that could have played out so much more tensely. And there could have been tension by sending that that young girl out. Because, you know, when they decide that to... poor Amy, she gets to do all the shit jobs. <laughs> but when, when they decide to kill him, they go, you need to get those mushrooms. Not the good ones, those mushrooms. And you'll need to leave the house quietly when he doesn't hear. That would have been a great scene of tension. That would have been a brilliant John Carpenter moment. Mm. A brilliant Spielberg tension moment. Yeah. But she doesn't allow us that. Yeah, I agree. And it's moments like that that the film falls completely flat. Yeah. It does, sadly. Are the women aware that Colin Farrell is having this effect on them? Well, they, they kind of notice it in each other, don't they? They notice that, you know, the youngest girl has put on her earrings. Yeah. And she's like, oh, but look at you, Kirsten Dunst. You've done yourself nice and pretty today. Yeah. And they all kind of you see it in each other. You haven't worn that badge since Christmas. <laughs> yeah. I sound like Mr. Garrison. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that is already nicely played. I could have done with a lot more of it. Like the scene where they invite him to have dinner with them and uh, he has apple pie and they all, they all kind of try to get one up on each other about, well, I, it's my recipe, yeah, but I picked the apples and that's actually my favourite kind of pie. Yeah, yeah and... that little girl, the youngest, <laughs> just, she's like, I like apple pie too. It's like, he's <laughs> never going to fuck you. Shut the <laughs> fuck up and eat your pie and then go to your room. I don't think she wants that. But that scene. But no, but I think in internally they are all having this reaction. Yeah, for to whatever him. reason. He's like catnip. Yeah. She won't understand why she wants his approval about the pie. Yeah. But that scene comes fifty four minutes into the film, and the preceding fifty minutes are are very samey and kind of don't really give us much. So I, I kind of wanted it to get to that point a lot earlier. I know it's kind of following the original book, um, which was written by Thomas P. Cullinan. But at the same time, I kind of wish like Sophia Coppola made certain concessions when she adapted the book. Um, and so I wished that she had made more actually to kind of speed it up slightly. Does he know the effect he's having on them? Oh, I think he's fully aware of that. He's like this kind of, dark-haired roguish irishman isn't he he's like he's fully aware of the kind of power that he can have if he wants to and he like he shaves and he kind of makes himself look nice and he's kind of aware that all the women are looking at him he catches Kirsten Dunst looking through the window yeah and like when he puts water through his hair and he looks around he's like <laughs> anyone anyone looking at me now <laughs> um, 
Yeah, he completely knows. And then when his leg is taken, that is almost as bad as being completely castrated, as he says, mm. because he is no longer this perfect specimen. They've completely ruined him forever. He'd rather be dead. He would rather be dead. And I think that a lot of his dialogue actually could have been cut because Sophia Coppola is very good at not giving the, giving her characters so much dialogue that they become boring or they overstate everything. Mm. And he... Um, starts to say things that I felt were just a bit too on the nose. I don't know if they come directly from the book. Yeah, but she doesn't have to include them. No, exactly. No. But when he when he first finds his legs been amputated, he starts screaming, you wanted to punish me. Oh, I see. And it's like, yeah, we we know that. And I don't feel like he would have actually said that. He would have just been screaming, you fucking bitches. When he screams, he sounds like an elephant. Uh, it's scary sound, actually. It was really weird. Yeah, it was almost, almost like the elephant man. About 40 minutes in, two soldiers arrive mm-hmm. two union soldiers and kidman leads them down to the kitchen and leaves them with food and she comes up to the room yeah and that's when they make the decision no we're not going to turn him over to the authorities a why are they not turning him over to the authorities and b at one point one of the little girl the pie girl <laughs> the dirty little pie girl she says can we go and greet the soldiers? And Kidman replies, I do not want to put temptation in their way. Is Nicole Kidman aware? Or is she pretty much in that moment saying, he's not the beguiler. We are beguiling him. Mm. We are the ones with the power. She, I think she completely thinks that she's in power. You know, everything she says is things like, you are, you are a, a most unwelcome visitor and yet we are keeping you here. We're not banishing you. Um, and she, You're free to leave wherever. No, does yeah. she say like, she says, what you do afterwards is none of our business or something. Yeah. yeah, I think she feels completely in control. But she also understands there's a risk that, um, you know, they are actually essentially defenseless women hmm. in a house. And if these two soldiers decide that they want, a bit of action mm-hmm. they're gonna get it so she doesn't want to give them any excuse um she's fully aware of you know the world that they're living in that kind of that tense that tense environment which is really cleverly actually kind of portrayed by that sound of gunfire that comes across the fields and they just hear it every once in a while and you're never allowed to forget that the civil war is going on yeah so even if they are kind of cloistered in this house there's that constant threat of something outside the gates how similar are these girls to the Lisbon sisters in the Virgin Suicides? Yeah, that's yeah, that's funny, isn't it? Because even Sophia Coppola said, when I saw them all in their white dresses, I flashed right back to Virgin Suicides. It's like if she never makes another film, her career has gone full circle. Yeah, it's perfectly symmetrical, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Because the Virgin Suicide girls seem more ethereal. The girls in The Beguiled seem more grounded and realistic and they are really they're real people they're really there they are stuck in this situation whereas the virgin suicide sisters seem kind of just not of this earth don't they they're kind of they're mythical in some way the lisbon sisters we see them as the boys across the road see them so of course they're going to appear like beautiful angels in their flowing white dresses these girls we actually get to know them first person we get to know them ourselves we don't see them through anyone else's eyes but our own yeah 
And it's weird because we then see Colin Farrell's character through their eyes. You know, when Kidman's washing him, mm, yeah. we see his body as this amazing, good-looking thing <clears throat> because she is. When he's putting water in his hair, we see him as this sexy, sweat-drenched hunk, <laughs> like a Zac Efron, because that's how Kirsten Dunst sees him. Yeah. The Lisbon sisters also seem to move as a pack. Yeah. I think you mentioned that in the, mm. the Virgin Suicides episode. They are a unit. Kirsten Dunst's character does go off and has sex with um, Josh Hartnell on the, the football field, but ultimately they are a unit. And when they decide to kill themselves as a pack at the end of the film, they all do it at the same time on the same night. Mm. These girls, they're not related, they're not sisters. They're thrown together for whatever reason. Men have ha, are, are busy destroying America. America is split in two. And they seem to... They're, essentially, they're refugees in their own country. You know, Kirsten Dunst's character wants to leave. She wants to get as far away from there as possible. None of them are loyal to each other. Mm. They all can see that they want Colin Farrell. Yeah. And Elle Fanning wins. He even says that you chopped off my leg because I wouldn't go to your room. I went to her room instead of in your room and your room, Kirsten Dunst. And you and you and, and da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> that's I think the main the main differences here. Yeah, it's a very different film. I think I just I really really wanted to like it more than I did because I think it's got such a great setup. Like it's the oldest story in the book. Kind of stranger turns up messes with everything, nothing is ever the same again. Yes. Or is it? I don't know. Are they going to go back to... Well, th that's one of my questions. What do you think Kirsten Dunn's character does after the credits? Because mm. the last shot is they're all on the doorstep. Kirsten Dunst is looking pretty pissed off. Mm. They've just left his body by the gates with the blue rag so they know that the Confederates can come take him away and burn his body or whatever. And she's looking pissed off. I think she gets the fuck out of there at the next possible opportunity. I think she's wait she's still waiting for someone to come and take her away, rescue her. Like when the Confederate soldiers come to take away Colin Farrell's body, is somebody gonna get an eye get an eye full of Kirsten and be like, <laughs> maybe she should come with me? Do you think that's what that's how she views herself, like a damsel in distress at the top of a tower? Well, it's it's like eighteen sixty four, so she can't. She has no real autonomy as a woman in the Deep South. She yeah. she needs a man to get her out of this situation. So. Like at the end, she doesn't look particularly crestfallen that he's dead. She looks kind of a bit shell-shocked, but she's not kind of, she doesn't look like she's really dying inside over it. But that's a Sofia Coppola film. Everything yeah. is played down. Yeah. Everything's at volume level two. So I, I read it as she's really pissed off and she was kind of separate from the rest of the group on that doorstep. Yeah, she was. But I didn't feel that the whole experience had broken her and she was heartbroken. I think that she just suddenly didn't have her escape plan set anymore. So do you like this or do you appreciate this? I appreciate it. It was really beautiful to look at and I was never really bored. I was kind of always wondering what was going to happen. I was particularly pissed off about the trailer because I saw the trailer when, you know, before the film came out. Oh, I see, right. And the trailer gives everything away. Well, even Colin Farrell choking them. at the table. Yeah. And even the, the last shot of the film at the gates is in the trailer. 
The trailer gives away everything. It gives away Nicole Kidman with her blood-splattered nightgown. Yeah. Looking like Piper Laurie and Carrie. Oh, yeah, she does, Carrie. doesn't she? Yeah, it gives away everything. And it's just infuriating because it just means that you are expecting all the, the good stuff to happen earlier. Why do you watch the fucking trailers then? Well, I try not to anymore. But I, that's one I did watch when, before the film came out a couple of years ago. The last trailer that I watched and I thought, for fuck's sake, I'm not watching trailers anymore was Batman vs Superman where they showed you everything they showed you Batman vs Superman they showed you Batman vs Superman and then Doomsday and I was just Mm. like I'm done with this yeah I'm done with this one of the best trailers I've ever seen is just that static shot from The Shining and the blood starts coming out and then it just says The Shining yeah that is what the trailer should be well that's a teaser that teaser trailer it's the same thing to me yeah it's just it should give you a hint of the film and then let you make your own mind up. Yeah. Trailers used to play at the end of the films. That's really? why they're called trailers. They used to trail the oh, film. Oh, no way. And then they started switching them to their head. Huh. I was watching a mini Vice documentary today about them. Oh, interesting. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think, yeah, going back to your question, I think that it's a very beautifully put together film and it's obviously got lots of ideas going on. Um, I didn't think it was fully successful. I really wanted it to be bigger and i know that sophia coppola is all about understating things but she didn't necessarily do that with the bling ring you know no, that was way more the the point yeah. of the bling ring was hammered home way harder than this this was very gentle compared to the bling ring mm. well i just wanted a bit more from it i think it had it had such potential in lots of areas, like the dark humor, the the kind of the girls um, competing with each other, and then that horrific final half an hour. I just felt like it needed to be cranked up just that little bit more. Um, how do you feel about the removal of the slave character from the book? I didn't know there was a slave character. Oh, right. Okay. I've never read the book. Oh, well, I haven't either. Oh. But it's from like 1966. So how does the slave character They're, fit in? She's... She kind of works in the in the school, right? And she's she's a young slave who is part of the story. But how um, does she feature in the story? What part does she play? I haven't read the book, and I haven't seen the original film with Clint Eastwood, so I don't know exactly how um, Hallie fits into it. But I know that she's just kind of another woman in the house who is charmed by John. Um, and yeah, Sophia Coppola just kind of took the editorial decision to not have that character in the film. And it did cause kind of a little bit of a backlash and kind of a bit of controversy, you know, where she removed the only black character in a cast of white people. Which is strange because A, the times we're now living in. Yeah. And also keeping that black character in, even in the capacity of slave, will ground that film more in the realistic historical setting that it is placed in. Mm. Yeah. It's, I mean, this is a fear couple as she said, I felt slavery was such an important topic. I didn't want to treat it lightly. I felt I should focus on these women who are so cut off from the world, um, which I can kind of understand. It, it's almost like if she'd done that to another male, a male character or any other character, it wouldn't have had such an effect because people, you know, when books are adapted, all things happen. All things change. You know, anything yeah. can, anything can change from book to screen. I can't think um, of a single black character in any of her films. <laughs> yeah, Virgin Suicides, no. Lost in Translation, no. 
No, there aren't any black the characters, are there? Marie Antoinette, no, somewhere, no. Mm. The bling ring. I mean, there's a, a part Chinese girl. Yeah. But she's very much an American. Very much an American. But that's another thing. Her films are not that diverse. This would have helped her at least diversify a little bit. But then again, the backlash might have been that the first time she has a black character in, it's a slave. Yeah. And it could be seen as tokenism. Yeah. You know, it could be seen as propagating this kind of stereotype of the slave girl. Um, Yeah. I don't really know how I feel about it. There isn't really any good answer for either removing that character or keeping her in. I think it's a very, very tricky issue, especially in today's climate where, you know, a representation in film is such a hot topic. Yeah. But um, even if, if she did have this other character in who is a slave character, it does open up a whole separate thread of the film mm. that I think she would have struggled to contain within her her clearly she likes a 90 minute running time i think she would have struggled to contain it within that because even the film as it stands there's bits cut out and it feels way too streamlined yeah like minimalism is her watchword and i think that is the reason she took out the character rather than anything more insidious another fun fact this was the film that won sophia coppola the best director award at the 2017 Cannes film festival oh and she was the first woman in 50 years to win that award who won it Um, before so the first one, the first woman who won it was a Russian director. I'm going to try to pronounce her name, Yulia Soinseva. Yes. And she won for the story of the Flaming Years, which I've never heard of. But she won a, a directing award at Cannes. Well, that's a wonderful victory yeah, for... in 1961. Sofia Coppola. Yeah. And I think, like, because previously when she won for, was it Somewhere? There was a bit of kind of like, did she only win because... She used to date Quentin Tarantino, which I think is... Did mass- she? Massively insulting. Did she really? But she won... Sorry, it was at Venice. She won the Golden Lion. She used to date Tarantino? <laughs> oh, that's your question. Yeah, yes. I didn't realise. I knew she was married to Spike Jones. Yeah, well, apparently she went out with him for a while. I don't know. Wow. Yeah. I'm- you learn something new every day. I know. So that was The Beguiled, directed by Sofia Coppola. And that is season two. We have one episode left, our recap episode. So be sure to jump onto the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Acast and TuneIn Radio app. Hit subscribe and follow so you don't miss a single episode. And we're on Twitter at TornStubsPod. So give us a tweet and let us know what you thought of season two, our Sophia Coppola season. We're off to eat some apple pie. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut. <laughs>